Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. The Fed is in play this week, and markets have been rallying as of late. Investors feeling pretty confident the past few sessions. But don't get too excited. Our guest today is going to pour a little cold water on the party. He sees a slowdown in the second half of the year. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is Gaines. Bring on Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at macrotides.com in San Diego. And as always, Jim has a special offer for the Gaines listener. Go ahead, Jim. Well, I'll be happy to send you the most re- recent weekly technical review where I kind of go through my expectations of what I expect uh, the Federal Reserve to do. Uh, on Wednesday, as well as what Chair Paul and other FOMC uh, members will be saying in coming weeks, as well as a technical look at various markets. So Jim Welsh, macro at Gmail, and I'm happy to send it out. And take Jim up on that offer. So Jim, the Fed in play this week. Stocks have been moving uh, higher on this belief that the Fed is poised to skip a rate hike, which they probably will here. But I, I think a lot of Wall Street also is interpreting this as, hey, we're, we're, we've cleared these hurdles and uh, we may uh, see a pause for a very long time. I want to start there, Jim, and get your take on uh, the Fed is, is, is probably going to take a pause. It's almost 100 percent at this point. But that doesn't mean it's going to permanently stop its aggressive fight against inflation. So start there, Jim. Yeah, well, the the point I've made, and I've been expecting the Fed to raise the funds rate over the last handful of months up to that five, five and a quarter percent level, because back in December and March, uh, they ask FOMC members every three months, what are your projections? And in December and March, the projection was the median was 5.1 percent. So my take all along, Andy, was that they were going to continue to raise the funds rate until they got to that level which they determined to be modestly restrictive, and then uh, stop for a period of time. And that's why I felt that they would, in fact, raise the funds rate in May, and I also have felt that they won't raise it when they meet tomorrow. And there's two camps, obviously, within the Fed. You have a camp that is in favor of holding pat. They want to give time, if you will, to see what impact do the 500% or 5% increase in the funds rate over the last 14 months 
has on the economy. They want to see what happens with uh, the uh, lending standards that have been tightened rather significantly, which will be a drag on the economy. And inflation has been coming down, maybe not as fast as they would like, but it has indeed been coming down as today's CPI report reaffirmed. So you have that camp that wants to just hold. That doesn't mean they want to stop. They just think they want to have a, a time to look around and see. Then you have another group of within the Fed, Jim Bullard from St. Louis, Mester, and uh, uh, Kashkari, who are in favor of raising rates uh, more uh, and probably tomorrow. And, you know, their take is, yeah, inflation has come down, but it hasn't really provided convincing evidence. Again, they don't look at the headline CPI. I mean, they look at it, but it doesn't really figure into their uh, analysis. And they look at the personal consumption expenditure, the core PCE, the core CPI, uh, the Cleveland Fed, Dallas Fed have different measures of inflation. Um, so they look at a broad range of them. The headline CPI is probably the one that they look and wait the least. So I, I think for those who are the hawks, they think the Fed should keep going. The economy continues to be plowing forward. Uh, job growth continues to be strong. My take is that a few weeks ago, Chair Powell kind of favored pausing. So I think that's what they will do. But in order and, to and it's about credibility because they've kind of signaled, Jim, too, yes. that they were kind of doing this. And I think if they surprise the market, there may be some questions there. Go ahead. No, you're 100 percent right. Um, at the same time, Powell has to kind of play the compromiser. And I think it comes down to the Hawks, who would prefer to raise rates, will agree, I think, to not raising rates as long as the bias is communicated clearly that don't misinterpret this uh, you know, pause uh, to mean that we aren't going to remain committed to bringing inflation down. And we're leaning in the direction of raising rates additionally. I think the, separate, uh, the summary of economic projections called SCP, basically the dot plot, will show that, you know, as I said earlier, it was 5.1% December, March. I think that's going to get bumped up, Andy, to maybe 5.3. They're going to bring the unemployment rate down. They're going to increase the GDP expectation from the 0.4 back in March, all, I think, to reinforce the idea that here are the reasons why additional rate hikes uh, may be appropriate and we won't hesitate. And more importantly, I think in the coming weeks, as various FOMC members go out, Andy, I think even some of the doves, like Goolsby uh, from Chicago, uh, who favors holding Pat, I think even he will go out and say, you know, don't misinterpret uh, the decision not to raise rates at the June 14 meeting as any commitment whatsoever that we won't raise rates again if we think it's appropriate. So I, I think there'll be a fair amount of verbal forward guidance in addition to the summary of economic projections that the Fed provides that will kind of disabuse people or at least attempt to the idea that, oh, they stopped uh, in June and that means they're completely done. I think the Fed doesn't want the markets to believe that in part because the data has to really provide them the confidence they need uh, that inflation will come down. What was overshadowed today, you know, everyone's excited about the CPI going from 4.9 to 4. But the core CPO only went from 5.5 to 5.3. So there is some, you know, embedded inflation that has been pretty resistant to coming down. And that is very important to the Fed. And I think that's why 
they will use that as justification of delivering a hawkish message, even if they don't raise the funds rate tomorrow. They're obviously making that clear message that they are data dependent and will act accordingly. And then meanwhile, you have generative AI as all the talk. Uh, You have really narrow leadership in the S&P 500. I mean, if you look at a handful of tech stocks, and they've commanded a bulk of Wall Street's gains, uh, you know, as I mentioned in the S&P 500, that kind of raises concerns with the such narrow leadership. And again, it doesn't seem like the Fed is quite done with the job that they're going to need to do. As you mentioned, we're going to, everybody expects a pause, but uh, this might not necessarily be the end of uh, uh, addressing the inflation issue. And uh, be wary as an investor if uh, Wall Street has kind of priced it that way. Well, you know, I'm a big believer in contrary opinion. You know, when everybody gets positive, it's time to look around and just see if there are reasons to become more cautious and vice versa. When everyone is negative, you kind of want to look for the green shoots. And this past week, Barron's on the cover had this market has legs. We're showing a bull. And historically, this goes back decades, that whenever a uh, financial market shows up on the cover of an important magazine cover, the magazine cover, cover. yeah. So last October, Barron's had the dollar is a super bull. Here's how to take advantage of it. The dollar at that time was trading just over 113. Within five months, it was down to 101. So there was a perfect example of the dollar had been trending up for many months, just like the market has been since last October. And all of a sudden, the cover shows up saying, wow, look at what the dollar's done. Let's keep being bullish. And now we have the Barron's cover. In addition, a lot of people use a very simplistic uh, you know, yardstick. Oh, the S&P is up 20%. That means we're in a bull market. That, to me, is just worthless information, um, maybe more so now. Because, yes, the Fed very well may stop raising rates, uh, irrespective of what they may or may not do at the July meeting. The point I've been making is that the economy has been holding up because uh, of accumulated excess savings, which has been able to support uh, consumer spending, unemployment near a 50-year low, wage growth being very positive, 66 million Social Security beneficiaries got an 8.7% increase. And a year ago, if you had $100,000 in a savings account, you might earn a few hundred bucks. Now at 45 to 5%, you're generating $4,500 to $5,000. Well, that's extra income. So my point has been that's what has sustained the economy. I didn't think there would be a recession last year. Wrote about it extensively. But I think the second half of this year, Andy, is going to be far more challenging for the economy. A, the lag time between um, inverted yield curves historically going back to the last 60 years is 19 months. The yield curve inverted in July of 22. That gets us late this year. The leading economic index turned negative in November, has a lead time of 10 months. That gets us like September. Um, uh, lending standards being increased significantly at the end of last year has a lag time of about nine months that gets us again into September. So as I think we go past uh, July and go further uh, into the second half of this year, I think the cumulative impact of rate increases are going to have a drag on the economy. And of course, then as we get to the fourth quarter, 
and a lot of people who have student loans, I think the average payment is close to $400 a month. Uh, they've had three-plus years of not having to make that payment. That is also going to crimp consumer spending. And last but not least, Morgan Stanley, I think it was, did a, uh, a questionnaire of consumers and uh, how many were planning on cutting spending or had already cut spending on a lot of discretionary type things. And uh, the percentages have been going up. A lot of people have been living off of savings. Now that that's dried up, consumers getting a little weaker. And you've you've cited all the things real quick. Yeah. I, I just wanted to throw that magazine cover indicator. I thought it was irrelevant, but we can see in the latest. You know, you just spoke to uh, when the magazine cover comes out and says one thing. Mm-hmm. Often, the opposite happens. It's right. like by the time something in the financial world hits the magazine cover and there's not too many magazines left anymore. Right. Uh, that means that everybody on the planet knows about it. And if you're finding out about it there, you're one of the last ones at least who's in the market to find out about it. And I, I think it's interesting that you brought that up because yeah. that has over the years been, a, you know, the, the first time I ever heard about it, I was a kid and it was, that you know you you probably heard about the famous uh, 1979 Business yeah. Week uh, cover, the death, <laughs> of death of equities. equities. Remember that the I death know. of equities because the 70s right. were really really bad for stocks, right. and right. that that Business Week cover came out, and uh, sure enough, what happened? <laughs> uh, it took a while. Yeah. In that case, it took a while because obviously the Fed was tightening the Fed funds rate in 1980-81 got up to like 20 percent. It wasn't until they really cut rates uh, in the first half of 1982 that the market took off. So it's not precise. I mean, what happened last uh, year in October when they had the bullish dollar cover, I mean, that was a, that was actually a pretty high precise uh, timing. Um, but again, it's, a, it's a, re, a mirror that shows the sentiment and how coalesced it has become in one direction or the other. And we think about a lot of good news. The the, uh, May employment report came out on June 2nd, 339,000 jobs. The debt ceiling was raised without a a catastrophe happening. Uh, Inflation is coming down. So for a lot of investors, especially institutional investors, Andy, their outlook has been they think we're going to avoid a recession. Earnings are going to keep going up. And the Fed's about to stop raising interest rates. So that's why the market treaded water while we were going through all the, you know, the tribulations of whether or not the debt ceiling was going to be uh, raised or not, because the lack of selling pressure helped the market just to kind of kept treading water between 4,100 and 4,200. My expectation was, and I think we probably in our last call uh, that we did, was that the S&P would get above 4,200. And the technicians would look at that as being a breakout, because indeed it is, okay? That was a formidable level of resistance. Uh, So that would turn them bullish, and that the economic data would get the fundamentalists even more bullish and positive. And all that's come to pass. My expectation was that the S&P would rally to 42.50, 42.75, and potentially up to 43.25, which was the high last August. All of that's happened in the last handful of days. In addition to the Barron's cover, call put ratios, uh, the option premium ratio, um, other measures of sentiment show that bullishness is pretty rampant. 
So I, I think it's just a question that when this current rally runs out of gas, we've got quadruple witch this Friday, um, that I think the market is getting set up, that we will see a pullback in the S&P back down towards 3,900. Over, you know, within by the end of the third quarter, I think that will happen. And if it holds 3,900, great, then potentially we'll see another leg higher to higher prices. If it closes below 3,800, I think the S&P is going to drop to 3,500. And again, the reason why that can happen is everyone is bullish because they don't think a recession is going to happen. And as I just you know, delineated, a lot of the extremely reliable recession indicators that have never been wrong, going back 50 years, uh, three of them are all signaling that in the second half of this year, we're going to see a meaningful slowdown in the economy. And what you never know is how high will the unemployment rate go? Uh, commercial real estate in terms of office buildings, uh, uh, malls, those prices are down between 14 25%. Hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I've been told that's podcast gold. Totally appreciate the solid there. And subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Wednesday mornings. We'll be right back after the break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at macrotides.com in San Diego. As we are heading into break, we're hitting on some of the issues. Want to hit on, you know, initially here, let's hit on the commercial real estate situation. It's a problem that... I'm not hearing a lot of economists, a lot of market people talking about. We're hearing about all kinds of businesses pulling out of San Francisco. Uh, there, there's retailers pulling out of a lot of these major cities. You have downtown areas that are full and full of office buildings that are nearly completely empty. And who's servicing all this debt? So I, 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 let's start there, Jim. There's a commercial real estate problem 
that that needs to be talked about as well. Yeah, it is. I, and back in March and uh, April, I wrote about it pretty extensively because small banks, those banks with under $250 billion in assets, uh, have provided about 70% of all the lending to commercial real estate around the country. So they are on the front lines of this, Andy. And, you know, what begins to happen is when a loan comes due. So banks have tightened lending standards over the last, especially late last year, early this year. But if your loan doesn't come due for another six months, you don't feel the full impact of that increase until you have to renegotiate your loan. Over the next 18 months, there's $1.5 trillion of commercial real estate loans coming due. So if I'm a small bank and it's an office building where it only has 50 to 60 percent occupancy, and you know the secular change that the pandemic introduced in terms of people being hybrid work schedules, maybe going to the office three days a week, um, it, that isn't going to change, I don't think, materially. So that has an impact not on just the office buildings, but obviously all the businesses around them that depended on a bunch of people coming downtown and having lunch, dropping off clothes at a cleaners and so forth. So the point is that small banks have a lot of exposure to commercial real estate. Now, this is a slow motion type of a problem um, that really, I think, will more likely hit a peak in the first part of next year. So the idea here is that if the economy slows, as I think it will, going into year end, some of the things that right now look like they're you know, not on the radar will become on the radar and exacerbate uh, the slowdown in the economy. And that's typically what happens at the front end of a recession. It doesn't look like it's going to be all that bad. And then things start to show up excesses that then uh, create bigger, if you will, liquidity problems. And I think there's a real risk of that taking place. So uh, in the meantime, in the very short term, you know, the bullish sentiment can, if you will, hold the market up. But I, I believe that this is a selling opportunity uh, right here, right now, irrespective of some additional strength that, you know, things like the Russell 2000. In other words, economically sensitive sectors which had been performing very badly all of a sudden after that employment report Andy got a bid because that solidified the idea of we don't have to worry about a recession the economy's okay very simplistic analysis regarding the the regional banks hey deposits aren't you know flowing out as aggressively as it were I guess that problem's all solved totally o overlooking the commercial real estate exposure that small banks have in addition, small banks lend uh, to companies, small companies that have 100 or fewer employees. They generate 70% of the loans to those companies. So small banks um, have a big impact on economic growth. But again, all of this stuff takes time. Um, and again, to me, it's the perfect, if you will, contrary opinion setup. Most people are now convinced that we don't have to worry about a recession. And to me, the setup for a recession in the second half of this year, or at least a very meaningful slowdown, um, I, I think that case is intact. It's good to be a contrarian. It seems like you're you're looking for a recession now. I, I think you were talking about all this good news and, and a lot of folks on Wall Street. Hey, we've cleared a lot of the woes here. We got the debt ceiling out of the way. Things are moving higher. You mentioned that strong yeah. uh, jobs report. But, you know, you're really giving us a cautious tone here 
about the setup of a, at least a mild recession here in the, the back end of the year. And again, one of the things I hear people say, ah, those people have been talking about a recession for over a year and, you know, they just been dead wrong. Well, yeah, they were dead wrong. But I was one of the people telling them they were dead wrong last year uh, just because the economy had two negative GDP uh, growth number, you know, contraction, first quarter, second quarter of last year. Historically, that's been a decent definition of a recession. But again, it overlooked the idea that consumers coming into last year had two trillion dollars of excess savings. The unemployment rate was extraordinary. I mean, in other words, the common sense aspect, as opposed to a very simplistic, oh, two quarters in a row equals definite, you know, definition of a recession. Yeah, that's fine. But look at what's happening in the real world, uh, and that consumers were shifting their spending from goods to services. Well, services represent almost 80% of GDP. Goods are less than 15%. So my point is, I, I hear these people say, yeah, everybody's been call, crying wolf about a recession for more than a year, and they've been wrong. Okay, great. But that doesn't tell you anything about what's likely to happen in the next six months. Does it really matter if it's technically a recession or not? And we're eventually getting the slowdown. So, you know, I, I found that whole conversation very interesting because yeah. you know technically it hit what often people looked at as a potential recession and right. but but does it really matter i mean it's potatoes or potatoes um, well it doesn't you know. matter in the sense Andy, that um did you tra you know, trade any different though decisions. you know we're, well, we're not, playing off of well, charts you know not, what i'm saying well, uh, yeah. again yeah, when the ahead. market bottomed in june i was looking for a rally up towards 4250 4300 it got to 43.25 in October I thought the market would rally back from 3500 up towards 4100 we got there in early uh, February so you know I'm looking at you know I combine technical analysis with fundamentals the fundamentals last year were constructive which to me was important because it did mean that earnings weren't going to go down and contract, as people were expecting who believed that a recession had begun last year, that earnings would be okay. And now I think we've got a lot of people who think that there's absolutely no risk of a recession. Uh, they're expecting earnings to be up 11%, which is what the consensus on Wall Street, just at the time when I think the economy is most poised for a slowdown. And so institutional investors need a reason to sell. Their bias is to the long side. So the only way the market will go down in the next three to six months is if indeed the economy slows more than they expected, because then they have to cut earnings. And then all of a sudden that's problematic to their bullish uh, outlook. So that to me is the key. Um, and I am relying on the efficacy of the yield curve, leading economic indicators, and the increase in lending standards, which over the last 50, 60 years have foreshadowed every recession. And last I'll mention is the San Francisco Fed did an analysis of excess savings. And at the end of the first quarter, uh, and there's no hard core numbers on this, okay? It's hopefully educated guessing. Their estimate was that there was $500 billion of excess savings left and that consumers had spent about an average of $85 billion per month in the first quarter. Well, you multiply $85 billion by six, and you're over $500 billion, and six months from the end of March gets you right towards the end of the third quarter. So, as I mentioned earlier, those three recession indicators are all focusing towards the end of the third quarter as being, I think, a definitive sign when we're more likely to start to see some real signs of slowing. 
And um, the leading indicators, you know, another people talk about is the jobs report, how strong it is. But the employment jobs number is like the last thing to go. And after employers spend 18 months trying to get good employees, they're going to hang on to people uh, as long as they possibly can. What we have seen, Andy, is some of the front end indicators of the labor market are starting to soften. In other words, when things start to get a little crazy or slow down, I should say, you let go of temporary workers that you hired when you couldn't find enough uh, regular employees. Uh, You get rid of overtime hours. You cut back on hours. So in that strong employment report for May, yeah, jobs were up 339,000. But hours worked. We're at the lowest level going back the last uh, 15 years other than a recession. So why are employers cutting back so aggressively on hours worked unless some of them are experiencing a slowdown in their business or they're anticipating a slowdown. Uh, So those are the types of leading indicators that start to suggest uh, that we're going to see the labor market slow in coming months. And, uh, you know, again, but that is a lagging indicator. And once it starts to tick higher, uh, unemployment typically rises uh, significantly once the recession has started. So, again, I think the unemployment rate is more of late, very late this year, maybe getting over 4%. But the real story happens, I think, early next year in the first half, Andy, where the unemployment rate would likely get above 4%. Obviously, you know, when the unemployment rate gets over 4% and the headlines proclaim that, it will have a dampening uh, effect on consumer spending, even those who aren't even worried about their job. All right. And so then the play, we already talked about, this is a good opportunity to take some of those gains that you've uh, gotten along the way here, maybe uh, sell, redeploy them to something safer. Why, what's your play? What's, what's your advice for uh, the individual investor right now looking at the market? Um, I would certainly raise cash in the tech stocks. I think they're very extended. Um, and is AI of, in a bu- sorry is AI in a bubble? AI tech stocks, the ones we've talked about, those high yeah. flyers. There's only a handful of them. They've really pushed a bulk yeah. of the gains this year. Is that tech? And then there's AI, an AI component to it as well. Has that gotten a little bubbly? It kind of feels so. I want it, real quick yeah. uh, thoughts no, on that? Absolutely, Andy. I think it has. Um, it, you know, some of the moves have just been percentage-wise uh, phenomenal. So to me, selling into strength like that makes sense because, you know, what typically will happen, the first 10% will come out of some of those stocks overnight uh, when the tide turns. And, again, if I'm right about the economy slowing down, at least one quarter of GDP being negative before the end of this year, um, I think those stocks are going to be vulnerable to profit-taking. In the near term, some uh, economically sensitive stocks like industrials, base materials, uh, the, the small, some small cap and mid-cap stocks maybe have a little bit more to go, again, as people have shifted from, oh, we have, we're worried about a recession. Now we're not worried about a recession. Let's buy the sectors that have been lagging um, and get some you know, extra performance out of that. So I, I just think that over the next two to weeks or so, uh, it's a time to, to, to lighten up and raise some cash. Um, as I said, I think the S&P over the next 60 to 90 days has the potential of dropping towards 3,900. Not a huge decline, 
But if the economy really at that point in time shows more and more signs of slowing, that decline could then turn into something deeper. But right now, the, the level of uh, bullishness is just a sign of caution. Uh, I think that most investors should pay heed. And, you know, it's always good to be a contrarian. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes. I mean, you can be wrong, too. I mean, you know, uh, what gives me conviction, Andy, is I feel very strongly that the odds are we're going to see the economy slow meaningfully over the next six months. Whether or not it turns into a recession might be beside the point, because if it slows uh, just enough to get people to start thinking, well, maybe we will have a recession after all. That's all it takes to turn people into sellers. Um, it, not that you actually have the recession, you know, landing at your doorstep, just that the prospect looks more like, wow, it could be happening. That will motivate people to sell. And then obviously, if indeed the data weakens enough that you are in fact in a recession, now you're talking about an extended market decline that will go further and last longer. Big thanks to Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at macrotides.com based in San Diego. And real quick before we leave, uh, Jim, give uh, the gains listener that special offer as we wrap up here today. Yep. Recent issue of Weekly Technical Review. Jim Welsh, macro at Gmail. And as always, Andy, enjoy our conversation. Great to have you on. We'll talk again soon. All right. As always, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Wednesday mornings, and I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast, powered by Odyssey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.